You know what? Let's, let's pray as we go into this. God, we, as we move into Ezra and we hit chapter 4, I always want to know what you mean. And I, I don't mind being corrected at all in order to interpret rightly what you're saying. So help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. May we know it is a good truth as he tells us what your word means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ezra chapter 4, we're going to be looking at um, three verses. L- let, me re- let me remind you of the series focus of Ezra in the book of Ezra. So the, the focus of Ezra in this God is here, we are here series is to build relationships through relatable passions, practices, and places that draws people closer to God. So we want you to, to, to take your passions and relate, to take your places and relate, to take your practices in God and relate and help draw people in because of that. And, and that's what we see in Ezra. We, we see that, look, God, God's here, he's, he, he's present with us, and then we're here too, and then they start to respond um, to what God's doing and how he's interacting um, in that. So let's take a look at Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll also have them on the screens I'm here for you too, to follow along or you can get Um, in your Bibles as we look at the adversaries beginning to oppose the rebuilding of of God's temple, um, the house in which he dwells, Uh, which also, um, by the way, uh, the Old Testament, when it says temple, literally meant a building. Um, Now in the day of the church age and after grace, when we say temple, it means you, right? You're God's temple. He lives in you. He dwells in your spirit. It's mysterious. It's paradoxical. It will not show up on an x-ray. You can't find little Jesus running around in your heart. It doesn't work that way. So when you see the word temple here, just know in the fullness of Scripture, we now know that it also replies and and, in response to us. Okay, verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the return exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. We've been sacrificing him ever since Ershahadan, king of Assyria, brought us here. Then Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, um, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So what you see here in this midst is they've been given wisdom to help identify a danger that's going to lead them to harm. Right? They're, they're referred to as adversaries because they are, in verse 1, they're adversaries. And they're doing all this other stuff. And we, have this, we also see in these verses that we have a great privilege to be called to fulfill God's will. So in verse 3, that's what you see. They're like, hey, we want to be a part of what you're doing. And they're like, no, you can't. Which is really weird for us, right? There's a tension there. Because you would think you would say, absolutely, come on down. Let's do this thing together. But as you see and find in these scriptures, you start to understand that just because they say something doesn't mean they're actually on your side, right? It doesn't mean that they're there. That's why we have words like spies and assassins and and half-hearted fake pseudo-believers because of this. Because you want to try to identify who the friend or foes are. Because we do have a great privilege as, as Christians to be a part and to fulfill God's will that he has, that he wants to do on earth, in us, and through us. So it's very important that we can identify God's friends or foes. In fact, that's the one thing for the message, the one thing. God wants you to know if they're his friend or foe. 
Who are they? Well, they are the ones that make every survey apparently and have results because they said so-and-so. They said strawberry is America's favorite flavor. Did you know that that's what they said? So what we see here is when we talk about they, it's, it's anyone. I'm using it in its most broad term that God wants you to know with every person that you meet. It's one of the things I try to find out quickly, and I'm even doing now to people in this room, if they are God's friend or foe. I want to know where you stand with God and where he stands with you. So God wants us to know that, and, and clearly they're gaining insight Because what they're asking seems like a good thing, except for the warning and the danger that the Holy Spirit gives in their heart, to which they just give a hard no. In fact, let, let me just remind you of how important it is that God wants us to know, and if we know whether or not they're God's friend or foe. I'm just, you don't have to turn here unless you've got super fast fingers. But in John 15, 15, Jesus says this to um, his disciples, but also to all who would come after him. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what a master is doing. Listen to this. But I, Jesus, have called you friend. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. So Jesus takes us, and in fact, probably in the most clearer biblical sense of who we are, we're Christ's servant friend. In fact, that's one of my email sort of salutations that I have that I've had since college, right? Christ's servant friend in yours, Nathan. And I've just been doing that forever. There's a big stories. I won't go into that. I will not mesmerize you with those tales. But really, in understanding who we are, not only do we serve, he's not replacing serving, but he's like, now I call you friend. And I tell you of the things in which God is doing. So it's very important to Christ, very important to God, that we know the difference, that we know the difference. So he tells us that about In fact, let me give you a little context of, of, of who is a friend of God. Just, just some things. It's not an exhaustive list, but some things that you can know when you meet someone. Because you're like, how can I figure out in five seconds or not whether someone's a friend or foe of God? Well, a, a friend of God, first of all, is a Christian who is a part of the family of God. I mean, everything can have the word Christian slapped on it, Right? Christian music and Christian movies and Christian stickers. And and I understand that, T-shirts and all kinds of things. But if you want to understand if someone's a a friend of God, and especially in looking at these scriptures to these people, a lot of these people who aren't, a Christian is someone who's saved by grace through faith, but they're, they're also a part of the family of God. And the only way you get into the family of God is through Jesus Christ and salvation. So you can say you're a Christian, and many will, the Scripture tells us. They will come to the end of their life. They will stand at judgment. They were about to go to even heaven or hell, and God will say, I knew you. Come in, well done, thy good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I knew you not. Isn't that interesting? It's like, does Jesus have amnesia? Like, where would all these millions of people come from and get created? That's not what he's talking about. It's not that he's a bad memory. He just goes, I don't know you because you're not a friend of God. You're not someone who, who follows. You're not a Christian. You're not a part of the family. I go home after church, and there's some random kid sitting at a table with my kids. One, call the cops. Two, I don't know you. You're not part of my family. We got a problem. I'm going to figure this out. So we need to know who the friend is. And remember this when it talks about who decides who's a friend or God or not. Do you? Do I? Someone else? Um, and this is John 15, 16. Just listen. Um, Jesus is again talking that next verse after he calls you friend, which must have felt pretty awesome. I mean, could you imagine the Messiah, the empty tomb lever, saying, you're my friend? Yes. I don't, did they high five? I hope so. I don't know what you do. You know, the knucks, let's knock at Jesus. But 16, here's what he says. 
Jesus says, you didn't choose me, disciples, but I chose you and pointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or, or last forever. And then so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, Jesus. So here's, here's what he's saying when it comes to friend. You, you can't um, um, claim yourself a Christian until, until God does that first, right? It's like the people are like, I'm humble among all others. And then you're like, you just said you're humble. Guess what that makes you? Not humble, right? Anyone out there is like, just look, go to my awesome website on humility and you'll see how great I am at being humble, right? I mean, you're gonna immediately be like, I am not following you to humble town. You are not the mayor of humble town. You don't even know what that means, apparently, right, Princess Bride? You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means, right? You just keep saying it. So when you talk about this stuff and it, and it revels into who's a friend of God and who's a Christian, he's like, he absolutely wants, because people will come in, right? A wolf in sheep's clothing still has fangs, and he wants you to know the difference because you respond to them in different ways. You engage them in different. So I just want to talk a little bit about salvation, first of all, and say this. And based on these scriptures, it'll bear out a little bit more. But there is only one true God, and his son is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we have connection to them through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us at the point of our salvation, which we confirm through a public profession of our already inner faith in Jesus through baptism. Now, I know that's a mouthful. But you can go back on YouTube and watch it at like half speed and it'll be a little bit easier to digest. But right now I'm just telling you that that's the truth. And the only way to become a part of the family of God, to find forgiveness for your sins so the wages of sin don't sting when you die, is through Jesus Christ. Now it's 10, 9, and 10. Joel 2, 32. Just call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Right? It's Jesus that sets Christianity apart among all other things. And want you to understand that context because it's incredibly important. Now let's go back to verse 3 and just kind of unpack verse 3 a little bit as we look at this, right? I'm just going to reread it again so we can just dive back in. So Zeruel, Joshua, the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, um, You have nothing to do with us in building this house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So here's what we see first coming out of this this deal. We, we see this desire to protect, this desire to commit, and this desire to express devotion to what God's doing. Because what's God doing? He's delivered them from Persia, stirred the heart of King Cyrus, sent them back thousands of miles, month-long walking journey, paid for their trip, made the citizens of Persia give their money in order to build the temple. Then later this rolls in to Ezra shows up in chapter 7. Then after that, it rolls into the story of Nehemiah where they build the walls. So that's an interesting point first, right? Seek first his kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things to be added to you. When their spiritual life is ruined and the example of that is Jerusalem, where do they start first? Where God dwells in the temple. When your life turns to a smelly dumpster fire, and you're like, how did this trash catch fire? You start first where God dwells in your heart and begin to work your way out. That's free because I love you. So that's how that works, right? So here's what we see. They're like, look, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the Father's house are committed to protect what God's called them to do. Because here's the thing. Everyone who says that they want to help, not everyone wants to see God succeed. It's, it's just a natural, well, I don't know what you were taught in history, but at least in history we know that, that most great civilizations all crumbled from what? The inside out. How do you break up a home? From the inside out. How do you destroy a great nation? From the homes out. 
So they know that if, if they are brought into this, this innerness where they're, they're not loving and they're not serving, then that, that's going to lead to this because why? They're literally standing in the rubble of Jerusalem that was several decades, a couple generations ago, that that's what happened to them. God's chosen people, a great nation among all the world. Then they started letting in all of this immorality and all these other things and worshiping God equally with other false gods. And the next thing you know, their home started to crumble, then their nation crumbled, and they're exiled and they're sent out. They're just dispersed upon the whole known world. So it just crumbled from the inside. So they're like, man, we're back. And we're going to get this thing right. And we're going to follow God and do what he says he has to do. Because not everyone who says that they um, love God actually want to see God succeed. They certainly don't want to see his people succeed. And you want to identify that because it's not like God wants you to throw them out. He just wants you to engage them differently and how he goes in. So let's talk a little bit about what we know from the adversaries in these scriptures. Because you have, as a Christian, adversaries. There are people out there who are sent and assigned to keep you from accomplishing God's will. To tempt you, to lead you, to lull you to asleep as a Christian spiritually. To, to just get you to fudge a little so that you do less for Christ and more for anything else other than him. So what we see from the adversaries in scriptures is, first of all, in some of these other verses, like verse 2, the adversaries say, it's what? Your God, not our God. Number one warning sign there, right? They're doing all the rituals. We're sacrificing. We're, we're, we're worshiping. And that's the other thing they say. We worship your God and sacrifice to him, except we place that God equally with false gods. So sometimes God's up here, number one, right? Things are going bad. Economy's crazy. What are we doing? God's number one. Things go better. God drops down the list. And there are these other gods that, that fight for vie for time. And they have, and here's the difference between a Christian on a journey to become like Christ and one who's not. They have no interest at all in making Christ number one only. They're happy with a little Christian here with some other stuff, little lines of thinking, little, little ways when they need it, they pull from it, right? So they grab a little here and they grab a little there and they, they've got a little bit of this buffet bar belief system. And you can see it in their words. It's your God, we've sacrificed and did your rituals. Remember we talked about communion just a few moments ago about not belittling the rituals? That's what they're doing. They're just going through the motions that they've learned from Jewish law means nothing to them as adversaries to God's people. So those are just two signs right out of those verses. Not to only mention that Zerubbabel and them also know that they're there. And you're going to be able to read as we work through the rest of this chapter four, um, what do they say? The proof's in the pudding. You're going to see it. They are just adversarial. It gets hard and just nasty difficult to try to live as a believer of God in this, which I think is absolutely applicable to today. I think, it, I, I think we, we know and understand or can sense or discern on some level that as Christians the world over, we're being attacked and targeted. Because it's been happening since the Old Testament we're reading in here. So it's the uh, same song, just uh, maybe a little different tune for our age. But it's there. So where you work, where you worship, where you live, where you recharge, there are landmines to your spiritual growth just waiting to go off. Just planted for you to step on. And once you do, it's too late. Should it get you to lose a leg or an arm or, or, or whatever that it can but here's what we also know from verse 3 um, when we talk about how do we know when some indications that people are friends of God. One of the ways we know is they actually say our God, right? <laughs> so, so you know, right? They're just, they confess 
that he is my God. He is my Lord, my Savior. He has saved me. He's the Father of God. They, we also say this, that they only worship God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this spread out. We're building a house to our God who will build one to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they're basically saying God's name like three times just to clarify. So it's not Huggy Bear Jesus. It's not only Worrier Jesus. It's not God whose lamp I rub and gives me everything that I want whenever I want. No, this is the God of Israel. And we're standing in the graveyard of our past mistakes in order to rebuild and resurrect what God has done for us. So they're, so they're very clear. And I'll, I'll tell you what, if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, you won't have to struggle with discernment if they're on your side or not. The Holy Spirit will just tell you. He's there to protect you, right? He's your comfort and guide. What does the guide do? Watch out, you're too close to the Grand Canyon edge. Oh, now you're falling and you're dead. You didn't listen, right? Why do they have handrails and fences at Niagara Falls? So you won't die when you look in and yearning and go, man, why does the Canadian side look so much better than ours? Right? What is that about? Anyways, we won't go that way. But I, the Holy Spirit has worked in this way and he's working here with those folks. So they, so they may say things. I mean, people can say a lot of stuff, but, but their actions and bear fruit. God knows their hearts. He can read their minds. So he can protect you against those things and help you to engage differently. An adversary of God is also an adversary of God's will being accomplished through his people. And, and I know, and let, me, let me say this, because here, here's the thing, um, and it is so prevalent today. When adversaries begin to rear themselves up against Christians, we a lot of times really want to take that personally and emotively, feels-wise, respond to that. We want to cave in because it hurt and it's awkward. We want to do that. But, but let me set you free a little bit right here because the scripture's done this for me. When you meet an adversary to God's will and what he's doing in and through you and in the world, they're not ultimately rejecting you. And in fact, it has very little to do about you, right? It's all about what God's doing. In fact, they probably care very little about you. We'll see this later in the scriptures and chapters through the coming weeks. They're just trying to blow up what God's doing in their land. So how does that set me free, Nathan? How does, that, how does that knowing when I meet an adversary and I want to cave in emotionally because of the relationship or because it's too hard or I don't know what the words is, to still stay undeterred to who Christ is? Because it's not about you, and I mean that in every good sense. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. I get a lot more no's to accepting Jesus' salvation than I get yeses. But I don't stop offering. And in fact, if you tell me no, I am turning that dial up. And we're just going to go more and more. I will see you, find you. I'll run into you. And if I've already offered it once, then I don't even have to like lollygag around into it. I just be like, boom, Jesus, do you want him? Accept he's your Lord and Savior? Let's make this happen. I don't care that you're buying donuts. It can happen now. Right? And you just keep going on. And you, and you figure out a way to respond and move in that way. So I just encourage you so greatly. That when those things rise up and you're like, ooh, I don't know, and you want to rail back and come back like they could have. Oh, yeah, come on, it sounds great. You want to do this? You want to be part of this? Yes. And they said, no, because what you need is something else. They needed something else. So another way, how can we tell if someone is an adversary of God? They actually don't help people ultimately draw closer to God or to accomplish his will. They don't seek salvation. Think about these guys 
these other adversaries, right? They're worshiping God with all of their other gods. They've even confessed that they're here because the previous Assyrian king brought them here. And if you do anything about world history, the Assyrians worshiped all kinds of crazy stuff, and they just threw God in the middle too. So their ultimate goal may have been like, hey, we worship this too, but they wanted to expose all of those believers to a whole bunch of other things. They were trying to weaponize God and going, oh, look, we worship him too. Come on in. That sort of Hansel and Gretel moment, right, where the witch lives in that gingerbread house, and you're like, why would I not want to go in there? And then you go in, and you're like, danger, stranger, right? It's actually the reverse, but you get the point. And you're like, wow, what are we doing? I mean, what's going on here? What's the point of all this? So he's showing them. It's like, look, you've got to look deep and see what's there. In fact, what an adversary of God really needs is salvation. So you've got to move the conversation and the opportunity to that. Look, let's not talk about you helping us build something through relatable places, passions, and practices. Let's talk about you getting right with Jesus. And just do that all the time, man. You're just guard railing people in. So if they want to take an off ramp to Jesus, you just bring them back on to that road. And you're like, look, you may not want to respond. You want to ask all these real esoterical things about Christ and his birth and his place and Egypt and all. Fine. But we're going to stop that and just talk about you and Christ. Because if you're an adversary, that's your biggest deal. Because only Christians go into heaven. Only Christians are there. Everybody else, not. Going to hell. We know that. And we're all going to die or be raptured one day and the world's going to end. We, can, we, we know it's coming. So why not help others to see that way? That's their biggest need, to be saved, to be born again, to be forgiven of their sin. Because adversaries at, at best want to slow down what God's doing, but mostly want to hinder it. And even if they want to hinder you just five minutes a day, it's like if I could just get them to not pray over their lunch at their lunch break at work, then I've got victory. Man, when I worked at, when I worked at a steel factory, and I've told you some of those stories, that actually happened. Right? They'd be like, they'd wait for me to pray, and then they'd ask me a question, or they do that, or whatever they could to try to distract me from praying. So then I just turn the dial up. <laughs> I'm just going to play real loud. How about that? And then the other things work out. But it, it, just, those things begin to, to, to grow and to happen, and I would, I would encourage you in that. When you meet an adversary, and what we know from scriptures, and as we move that way, is to bring them to Christ. Don't worry about the peripherals and things. Get them to where Jesus is and make it easy for them to draw close to Jesus and find salvation. Here's what I would say, though, also from the scriptures and encouragement. Serve along those who are saved by grace through faith. Now, I know when you're looking at verse 3 and you're like, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the Father's house in Israel, um, Father's houses, which is basically everyone that had traveled for the previous weeks we talked about. But what do you see here? You see the family of God from different places and different communities doing what? coming together to serve in order to accomplish God's clear and perfect will. So in this, we must not also identify adversaries, but when we find those who aren't adversaries, serve alongside them. Worship with them. Have a little church, as we say, somewhere. Happens all the time. Have them in parking lots and aisles and gas pumps on the beach because you run into Christians who are vacationing here, right? And you just have a moment. Right? It's always interesting, too, because when you first start, start talking, generally most people who are, are Christians, are, there's a little, a little shade, a little, a little barrier, right? But then when you both find out, wait, you're a Christian, too? Then what? Woo! And it's like everybody's just sucked in helium. Oh, I also have you. I'm going to see you. I love Jesus. And you just start having a moment. 
right there. And it doesn't matter who's there. And then you start grabbing other people. So I just make it easier. I just randomly throw in biblical words like Jesus in a conversation. Hey, where are you guys from, Jesus? How long are you guys here? Holy Spirit loves you. I will do that. And I always get the one or two reactions. Crazy person, or let's be crazy together because I love Jesus too. Right? And it just comes out. And I automatically know which way to deal with it. There are more gentler and tactful ways. But look, I'm trying to just follow the Spirit as he leads. And sometimes you just, you get the gas pedal. Sometimes you get the brake. It depends. And you just go and you live and you move that way. And that's what we're seeing here in this deal. Oh, I can never tell someone, no, they can be a part. They're saying that because there's a greater need. The need isn't to pick up a shovel and a pickaxe and start making the temple. The need is that they would get saved and live and serve and love Jesus. So that's why they say no. So some of them are jarred. What? Why would you say no to us? Don't you need every man, woman, and child to come help build here? Ah, yeah, but I'm not going to sacrifice what you need more in Christ to get what I need. You see that love? You see that wisdom to say, the reason I'm saying no, so you can actually get what's best for you from God. So that you might experience who he really is. You'll thank me later. That's what you say. You'll thank me later. You'll thank me later. So how can we tell if someone's a part of the family of God? These, these are the clear foundational parts. These are un, just non-negotiables in scriptures. Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and they seek to fulfill God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there are many, many other ways you can tell, but those are always going to be a part. They're actually going to be a Christian. They're going to be saved by grace through faith. They're going to call him Lord and Savior, and they're going to seek to the best of their ability to serve God's will and move in that direction. That's what makes the difference because you see in the Scripture two different people, right? You're like, but wait a minute. King Cyrus, they let him work. He's a pagan pagan, man. Why was he a part? Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2 of Ezra. God what? Stirred his heart, worked inside of him. This verse here, these are just the machinations of man coming together going, look, we've got evil plans for God's people, and here's what we're going to do. We're wolves in sheep's clothing, and once we get inside, we're going to tear that pen of people up. And they're like, you're not getting in, because we want you to see Jesus. And we're going to let our, our, our temple be so obvious. And what does that tell for us? That your temple would be so obvious to others that they might know and be drawn to Christ. Because remember, they're not ultimately rejecting you. It's Christ that they do. And woe to their soul and danger to their life when they do. We know that we exist, biblically speaking, to bring God glory and make disciples. Like, I can't say that to you enough. Right? I, would, I would say it to every freshman, philosophy uh, 101, psychology 101. Shoot, I'd say to a grad student, 601 psychology. Why am I here and why do I exist? It's easy. It's the same thing for the stars and the moon and the planet and the animals. You exist to bring God glory and to make disciples. And in between those two things, Jesus saves their soul. He saves their soul. And we know that knowing the difference between friend or foe is an important aspect of why we exist. So based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? Because that, that's a real deal, right? I am not trying to create Jeopardy winners in the Christian category. That's not what I want, right? It's not a disciple just because you're going to answer stuff, though that's important to know those things. I'm not putting theology aside. But I, I think at least in our culture, the great challenge is what? To engage and to actually live it out. I mean, I, I take my kids to the playground and, and see them swing on the swings all the time, but sometimes I just need to get in the swing. 
because that looks stinking fun. And I just do it. They're like, will you push me? I'm like, no, get away. I'm swinging. (laughs) I will strive to be more loving. I am working on that. But you know, you want to engage, right? We don't do that in any other area of our life. People tell us to come and see. You got to go to that restaurant, try it out. You got to see this movie. You got to read this book or you got to kindle this book. I don't know if people even touch books anymore. You've got to check this out and check that out. And what do we do? We engage. We figure out for ourselves. Our spiritual life has never been any different than that. That we must engage ourselves in a way that does it. So let's just talk about your worship. Your gospel centered on Jesus Christ worship. You've got to know God well. When one of my kids come to me, I have three kids. When one of them comes to me and says, so and so said something, I can almost immediately tell when they're lying. First of all, your six-year-old sister does not have that vocabulary. She could not literally probably speak that word from her mouth. So I therefore know you're making up a story to get her in trouble. Is this true? Yes, weeping of tears, and we work through that. The more you know God, the better that you know him. You listen, you discern, you learn and apply what you discover from your no substitute for prayer and Bible time. Then the more you're going to know others that have him in them. Does that make sense? You're just going to know. You're like, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, you've got, I mean, when you think about it, you, well, I say this sometimes because I heard a minister say it, I can't remember what it was, but you've got more in common with like uh, a Chinese Christian than you do your neighbor who lives next to you that doesn't love Jesus at all. An Iraqi Christian, more in common than your neighbor that hates Jesus. And they live right next door and you've been neighbors forever. So know God well through prayer and Bible study. And you can have all the other things. I do that too, journals and songs and beverages and all that stuff. But eventually, you just got to get into prayer and get into your Bible and study and find out who God is and learn more that way. When it comes to community, we've talked about this a lot. This is what they did and they saw as well. They saw the fruit of those guys living out there, right? Put yourself in the sandals, smell the sweat and the weirdness of their clothes as they were standing with those guys, Like This didn't happen in a vacuum. They knew them and saw them and heard of them worshiping other gods in other towns. The scripture tells us that. They even confess it through their own wording. So how do we discover others relate to God? Ask God to show you if they're for or against him. Man, just shoot that prayer up like Nehemiah did before he was released to build the wall. God, is this person really a Christian? They really love you. And then, you know, really ask yourself that sometimes. It's good to take a self-check, but is this person for or against you? And he'll tell you. He'll help you to know what kind of journey they're on. If they're like Cyrus, who's being stirred and still growing in the, in the faith, what they're saying, or if they're someone who's just completely against him and masquerading as a being of light in order to wear you in and devour you. So just discover that. Like I say, it's one of the first things I like to do whenever I meet anyone. And I mean anyone. Just two, four or five seconds. I just want to know. Want to know. Here's a great way to serve others. This comes from from John 15, 15, and 16. But remember, God loved you first, right? I mean, that that alone should make you feel loved. Like, you you chose me in my unchosenness. Like, there was nothing about me, God, when you chose me to to be loved that said, I'm worth loving. There There wasn't. There isn't anything. But then Christ came in and that changed. So remember this. Remember, God loved you first, and we should love him first. Number one. One of the best things you can do for others, hear me on this, one of the best things you can do for others in all areas of your life is to put God first. 
And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to adversaries, it's going to cost you friendships, but you'll gain some too. It could cost you jobs and relationships, but you're going to gain some too. There is a price to be paid um, when it comes to commitment, and it's, it's dedication and it's devotion to know what side you're on, right? What happens to the lukewarm person? Spit out. Whether you have been cold, so at least I know what to do with you. So I want to encourage you, one of the best things you can do to serve others is put God first in every area of your life. And not just privately, though that's very important when you're studying, but also publicly as well. And ask God, how do you do that? But Nathan, my HR policies at work. But Nathan, my neighbors in, in my neighborhood. But Nathan, my friends at school, you don't get it. But Nathan, college, and it's just like this, and it's tough. It's like, look, you're right, I may not get it, but you know who does? Holy Spirit. He will tell you. He knows the perfect thing to say to that person and the perfect way to engage him. And he knows how to use you perfectly in your weakness and in your strengths to reach that person. So remember, God loved you first, so, so put him first. And then lastly, multiplication. Continue. That's what I love about these guys in verse 3. Continue to bring God glory and make disciples. I, I know this probably wasn't actually happening, you know, but I just imagine them on the temple, like, working away, and these guys are like, hey, can I help? Because this is what good neighbors do, right? Hey, can I help? Can I help? They're like, no. No, you can't, because you need Jesus. You can't help, because you need Jesus. No matter who you meet, no matter who you meet, or maybe who you're sitting next to even now, or as you're watching online, no matter who you meet, the goal is to continue to fulfill God's will, undeterred and inviting. And here's what's going to be tough. We're going to have to learn from their lessons when they were deterred and they stopped inviting. Like they actually gave up for a season, which I think can only help us because we run into people like that too. Uh, I call it pushing the pause button on their spiritual growth. They're just like, and, and no. And we're going to be able to find out in these later verses too. So let me remind you of this one thing one last time. One thing one last time. God wants you to know if they are his friend or foe so that you may deal with him the way that he would, with grace and with the wronging of rights and, and to helping them to find Christ. Because if they're a friend, celebrate, let's do this together. And if they're a foe, celebrate and let's lead you to salvation and never get off that until they do. You don't stop praying, you don't stop offering, and you just keep letting that happen.